This is the Main Attraction Podcast. Now here are your hosts, Justin Strawn and Ryan Nelson. Welcome to the Main Attraction Podcast, where we discuss the biggest television shows and movies in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Justin Strawn. Joining me each week is the other host of the show. He's about to explode with anticipation to talk about this movie, Ryan Nelson. Thank you, Chris Nolan. I had forgotten that nuclear war was bad. You reminded me for three straight hours. I had forgotten all about how bad nuclear war is, but I needed the reminder. That's right. We all needed the reminder, and it only took three hours to convince us. So, yeah. uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, I was always on the fence half the movie. <laughs> Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's not so bad. I don't know. Let's see how this all turns out. So, uh, if you've been listening to podcasts, we started the podcast last year. Thank you for continuing to listen, making us part of your day. If you are new to the show, we hope you enjoyed as we talk about the newest Christopher Nolan film, Oppenheimer. If you are a new or regular and would like more access to the show, we would love for you to visit our Patreon page and become a patron of the Main Attraction Podcast. Go to patreon.com slash the Main Attraction Podcast and you can get Patreon only content. You can support us at a three, five, ten, or twenty dollar level. And when you join up, we'll shout you out here on the show. If you want ad-free access to the podcast, any level of being a Patreon supporter will get you the show ad-free. doesn't matter which level you come in at. You will get the show ad-free over there on Patreon. Uh, if you also would like to get some of our bonus episodes, for example, tonight we talked about the Barbenheimer, uh, the Barbenheimer phenomenon. So uh, a little bit of related content for, to our main show here on the Main Attraction Podcast. Uh, but if you can't be a patron, though, you can help the show out by rating us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you left us five-star rating and also wrote review over there on apple podcast those things help us out a lot but if you can't write a review just the rating would help out a lot as well so uh, you could just help us out a lot by going on your spotify or apple or if you listen to on some other player and you get to rate that would help us out a whole lot so just drop us a five star rating and like i said if you have time we'd love to hear a review as well uh, but if you'd like to interact with the show uh, we'd love for you to do so send us an email to mainattractionpod at gmail.com you can send us an email we will answer any questions you might have any address any thoughts you might have we would love to hear any uh, feedback that you have by sending us an email to mainattractionpod at gmail.com another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So this is the newest Christopher Nolan film. It is the it is part of the Barbenheimer phenomenon. Uh, like I said, if you if you want to hear our thoughts on Barbenheimer, go over to Patreon and uh, join up for us over there, and you can listen to that. But we're just discussing Oppenheimer tonight. Uh, we haven't seen Barbie yet. Uh, I probably won't get to it till later. I know you're planning on watching it at some point, yeah. but we're just sticking with Oppenheimer for right now. Uh, you saw it uh, Sunday afternoon, correct? That is correct. And I didn't get to see it in 
IMAX or uh, 70 millimeter or 70 millimeter. So there's only one IMAX, true IMAX, and I live in Birmingham. Uh, so there's only one, and it's a theater that has bad air conditioning. Oh, so gosh. you can you can say. I wasn't going there. <laughs> so, but there's also a couple of theaters that have giant screens, right. which is similar to IMAX. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, sh- uh, I was busy last weekend. I couldn't go. Freaking Haunted Mansion was on those screens this oh, week. Really? So I don't know if the theaters had made a deal with Disney that they, they had to show have. it. Because I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, so, I could, so I just saw it on a regular screen. I will say I was jealous of the people who saw it in 7mm because... I could I, I knew that it would be much better in that or IMAX. Yeah, uh, I saw it on Thursday night. Uh, I went to uh, the only IMAX theater that we have in Memphis uh, and saw it there. And it well, just you real quick, what are your general thoughts on the movie? I can't believe I freaking love this movie. I'm shocked how much I loved it. I was shocked for a three hour movie. It paced pretty well yeah. it didn't it, uh you know you could say the last hour maybe was a little slower but i thought the first two hours like flew by mm-hmm. i was shocked how much it flew by i really enjoyed it uh i it was nothing like the trailer made it look like i didn't realize we were going to get like a few good men type movie yeah <laughs> and then we were going to get like a a senate confirmation hearing and then like the story of oppenheimer right so it was just crazy like, I didn't realize there's other two things. Well, I knew there was some kind of trial because you saw right. Robert Downey Jr. in black and white. Right. But I didn't realize, like, it was going to be a few good men, you yep. know, for half the movie. So, which was actually kind of exciting to watch. So, <laughs> I was surprised by that. Um, I thought they did a good job of, you know, uh, I'm not very smart. And so, physics is something I don't understand at all. <laughs> so, I did. I thought they did a good job of not, you know making us feel too stupid about that and explaining stuff well. I thought it was also interesting, like, you would see all these, you know, Niels Bohr I knew. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. So, like, it was interesting to hear, like, some of the famous scientists. Mm -hmm. That was kind of interesting as well. And I thought the the performances were incredible. And every time I turned around, I'm like, Matthew Modine is in this? Right. (laughs) There's always somebody popping up, yeah. Tony Goldwyn? Where's where's (laughs) he been? You know, like, it was crazy, like, over and over. Robin Malik was the one I was like, at one point I was like, he was only in the background of one scene. Yeah, His I know. And then all of a cut. sudden, I was like, oh no, there he is. Yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden he just shows up and you're like, oh, okay, he's got a much bigger part than what we thought. So, uh, for me, look, I've talked occasionally on this podcast, not a lot, but I've talked occasionally on this podcast. When we did Tenant, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it there. You know, most people, stars drive people to the movie theaters. Uh, and I'm the same way. You know, there's, there, there are certain actors or actresses that are that are in a movie. I'll go see them. But for in terms of directors, the only one that currently has that every time if he has a film out that will get me to the theater is Christopher Nolan. Now, Denis Villeneuve is getting close to that, that status. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like I said, Christopher Nolan just, I love everything that he's done uh there you know if i were to rank his list what whatever would be at the bottom I've only, the only one i've not seen is his very very first film uh but i've seen every, no no i've seen memento like that wasn't his first one there's one before it i can't remember what it was called oh, okay okay yeah, uh, i haven't seen that but uh like i said the if i were to rank them i don't know what would be at the bottom but i would still absolutely love whatever was at the bottom it just would be the worst out of yeah. a whole bunch of great films yeah uh, like the worst one is probably like the prestige which is still a see, fantastic I love, movie. I love the prestige it's, it's towards the top of my well, list but, i mean you're talking about yeah. is it like 
you're talking about all the well, maybe all the Batman movies well, you're talking about. Yeah, like the Batman movies. Interstellar. You're talking yeah, about Memento. Is I know under. they're all great. <laughs> the Batman movies I kind of also kind of put in, like in a side category because they're yeah, very, they're, yeah. they're 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 just different than everything else that he does, mm-hmm. and they're still great. Don't get me wrong; they're still mm-hmm. great. But uh, the Dark Knight is one of the best movies to ever get created. Uh, right. but, but they're still very they they don't resemble a typical Nolan film uh, because. One of the few things that the probably the only thing that he fails out in this in this movie is he still cannot pass the test of being able to tell a, a story in linear fashion. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, that, he, he, none of right. his stories are ever linear; they're always jumping around. I was curious to see how that was going to work in this one. I was like, "Oh, okay," and he makes it work really, really well. I mean, yeah, he does. I, I would that that's not a problem at all for me. No, I will say I know there's a complaint about his lack of depth for female characters you can definitely point to that i thought emily blunt was a little bit wasted yeah uh like i said so i'm coming into this film you know expecting to like it because it's chris nolan and like i said everything Mm -hmm. that he does i enjoy i came out of it and uh, there were multiple times when i was watching this film and uh, you know i'm we're uh, like half a week later and i'm still as i talk about it i'm still getting that same feeling there were multiple times in that film i was like I was asking myself, am I watching the best movie I've ever seen it before? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was asking myself that quite a bit. And to me, as of right now, look, I'm st- we're still you know kind of slightly removed from it, so it could still be a little bit bigger at the moment. I think this is his best. Uh, it's just yeah. phenomenal. It's, yeah, I haven't watched some of the some of the older ones. I haven't seen. Uh, ah, crap! What's the one with uh, Leo? Uh, Inception. Inception. I hadn't seen that in a long time. Yeah, I, haven't seen it in a I while, love yeah. that movie. Yeah, it's great. So like, there's stuff like that that I'd have to watch again. Yeah, I need to go back but and watch. I, some I'm with ones. you. I'm with you though. It's right there. And here's the thing about this, because when you watch this film, I mean, basically, this is three hours of dudes talking. <laughs> that's yeah. That's what yeah. this is, and yeah, it is riveting. And part of it is just because the way that he edits it, the way he cuts it, and the way that he created it, and the way he tells this story. I did check my watch, but the only reason I was checking my watch, I checked it two times because, excuse me, there were two times where it felt very distinct, like we were transitioning into a different phase of the film. And mm-hmm. uh, like, I don't remember exactly, it was right about the hour mark when somebody, when the guy comes in and tells J. Robert Oppenheimer, he, he tells him, well, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, this guy split the atom. And that's when he says, yeah. This means that we could build a bomb. Like I said, that was right about the hour mark, and that's when they're moving mm-hmm. into a different, they're transitioning into a different phase of the film. And yeah. there, after the Trinity test, I checked it again because I was like, okay, we're transitioning again, and it's right about the, the end of the second hour. So, like right. I said, that's the only reason I checked my watch. I just want to see yeah. if, if that's what they were doing. I checked my watch a couple of times because I had had a couple of adult beverages beforehand i knew i was going to go to the bathroom so i was like i want to get about hour 45 in right. before i go so i won't have to go again so that was the i did check mine a couple of times like where are we at let me well, it's like oh and it was still he was like all right hour and i can wait a little bit longer yeah so, yeah I, I checked it again i was like hour 40 let's go let's go ah <laughs> uh, but yeah this is it's just an absolute phenomenal thing like i said the way it's just it's so I mean, it, it, for, to be a film with a bunch of dudes talking the entire time, it, it feels fast-paced. It really does. It really did. It really. The first two hours, for sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. I was shocked how fast-paced it was. I, okay, let's talk about it real quick, because 
I, when I was watching, I, I, I made sure not to to read anything or to listen to any podcasts on it until yeah, I actually. I didn't it's all you know. I mean, there's really no way to spoil this, but you kind of can if you're not familiar with the history of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, like when they moved into that third hour, because that's that's the hotly debated portion of, of the film. Uh, the third hour, some people say it's not as good. Personally, for me, I thought. It's more conventional. It's far more conventional movie telling uh, that third hour uh, yeah. because we're kind of moving basically into a courtroom drama at that point. But to me, I was captivated by it because I was too. Because this is when RDJ cooks. <laughs> I was about to say we got to say got to see the old Robert Downey mm-hmm. Jr. who was just blew everyone off the screen. Yeah, look. I, I don't really know how to to, to phrase this because I don't want it to sound like. You know me. If you if you listen to this podcast long enough, you know I'm a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, uh, fanatic. I love their stuff. Uh, but you know, for the past you know 15 years, this is well, the only way we've really seen Robert Downey Jr. is through the lens of Iron Man uh, right. and Tony Stark, and it requires acting to do that. Don't get me wrong, but this yeah, requires. Yeah a different level of acting and you we had well for, tony stark is a little bit like real life robert yeah Downey jr. that's kind of the best way to put it he's very similar to the actual robert yeah. Downey jr this requires him to find another level and we haven't seen this from him in so very long right. and it was just well, it, did, it didn't feel like you were looking at rdj no I, when they first showed him on screen i didn't recognize him i i did yeah. not recognize him because he, he he's he's playing somebody who is at least his age if not a little bit older and right, they right. make him look that old and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to do that uh, you know speaking yeah. of, looking at you tom cruise <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly uh but uh when i saw him i was like oh, oh that's I was, once he started talking I'm like oh that's robert downey jr's character uh lewis strauss that's who we're talking about yeah. uh but like i said this is that's when he cooks and he's probably going to get a best supporting actor nomination oh, for this 100 percent and like I said, right now he's probably the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, but yeah, that's when, like I said, that's when I just was, I, I was still captivated because of in that third hour, just because this is when the whole courtroom drama, just the the battle between Louis Strauss and, and uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, I was captivated by it still. And you seem to be the, in the same boat. I was the same way, especially when, you know, as that third hour is beginning, you're like, oh, He's the villain. Yeah, that was the, that was like I said. I I know the history. I know most of the history behind this story. I mean, I've taught yeah. this uh, when I first started okay. teaching. I, I did. Uh, man, I, I, this one I just don't remember as much in school. Well, I, I remember. Know, I'm getting to that part of it. Like I said, okay. I, I taught. You know, the Manhattan Project, Fat Man, Little Boy, yeah. uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. I remember those. Man. Los Alamos. Yeah. I've taught all that. The Lewis. I knew that his political beliefs uh, ended up like causing him a lot of problems i wasn't really i i I never got into that big of details and the lewis strauss part of it all i was not familiar with i wasn't i didn't realize that he was the reason why that j robert Oppenheimer ends up his career ends up kind of falling apart because of lewis strauss so like i said that was as a history guy that was really interesting to me so i I, I like that but um uh but one of the things that you mentioned earlier i want to go ahead and kind of circle back to that is you said you know the science of this i thought what you said was very very true they don't 
they, they basically let you know that science is happening. I mean, we, right, right, right. We don't know. Like when he go, when he takes those papers that shows that you know the atom could keep could keep splitting and it could end up going to the atmosphere and like destroy the entire planet to Albert Einstein. He shows in the papers and there's all this stuff written on it. But we don't go through and sit there, and he doesn't explain in detail right. all the stuff that's well, on like, there. Like they did at Interstellar, which I oh, was yeah. like, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I think you probably learned a, a couple of things yeah. from, from Interstellar from when he was making this film. So, like I said, they don't overwhelm you with that. But they do try their best to overwhelm you with the history of this because yeah. it was overwhelming everyone who was involved in this because of just how big of a of a task they were that they were tasked with. And... I, that's the one thing I thought that was very well done is, you know, they wanted you to feel the history of this. And I think yeah. you really did. I think you did as well. They they did a fantastic job. The, the Manhattan Project's parts, especially, especially the, the testing. Oh, yeah. My God. I mean, that was that was one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, yeah. It, it, that was that was the point where I was like. I wish I was watching this in IMAX. That scene. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And it just that scene in front of me, like you've been building up that Trinity test. And when they finally get to it, it, it was just phenomenal. We'll talk more about it here in a second. So let's go back to the beginning of this. One of the things I thought, you know, when they're opening this thing up, uh, they, they hit you pretty quick and they hit you pretty hard with a lot of this stuff. And Killian Murphy is... Look, I'm. I have, I've seen a few things with him, and he's never really just kind of stood out. Uh, he obviously is a, is a Nolan guy back from his his Batman days when he was playing uh, the Scarecrow. But for him to like take on this role and to be as compelling as he, because he's in basically about ninety five percent of the scenes of oh, this. Oh yeah. And sure. he just commands the screen. He is on screen yeah. with a lot of really talented people. And he just absolutely commands the screen, commands the audience. It's, does. I was really surprised by him. See, I wasn't because I've you know I've seen Twenty Eight Days Later, I've seen Red Eye, I've seen a little I've bit seen of Red Eye. I've seen Days Yeah, yeah. So I know like like he in Sunshine. I've seen that movie. Like he has it. Like he doesn't always get the opportunities. And maybe that's what it is. He just hasn't had the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like I said, I was really, really impressed by him. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about let's let's go go ahead and kind of open up some Oscar discussions because this movie is going to get Oscar oh, yeah. nominations. Absolutely, and he will as well. He will be one of them. He's going to be one of the people that's going to get an Oscar nomination. I can't imagine that he wouldn't get one after this performance. Because like I said, it is just absolutely incredible. He has yeah. to carry this film, and he does. Yeah, he does carry it. I mean, he's absolutely incredible. You know, he's got to be the front runner. Now, we'll say. We have Killer of the Flo- Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah. Scorsese, Leo, uh, De Niro right. coming, Jesse Plemons, those three. Oh yeah, you, you know those are gonna they all there's gonna be some Oscar with them as well. But he's got to be the front runner. As of right now, I've put him at the front runners. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, but like I said, his performance is just absolutely phenomenal. The the one of the things I like that they do here at the beginning is. It's it's apparently not a true thing that actually happens, but he takes the the potassium cyanide and he ends up injecting into that apple of that professor who kind of yeah. calls him out and embarrasses him. Uh, and I don't know if this is like what he was intended by. I'm pretty sure it is. Like this, he's showing like basically somebody embarrassed Oppenheimer early in his career, and you know he thought about and enacting some revenge on this guy. But he he comes to his senses and he doesn't do it. It's like it's a parallel to what Strauss does because Strauss gets embarrassed by Oppenheimer later in the later in the film, yeah. 
And he goes, but he enacts his revenge and he goes through with it. So like I said, there's a parallel there between the well, two did characters. did you also think it was like a little Adam and Eve situation oh, with okay. the apple? I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I guess it could have been. Yeah, that could have been the case. Because uh, I, I wasn't even thinking about that, but I'm glad you brought but that that's up. that's a good comparison. Like, like he betters himself after getting embarrassed. Right. Like Strauss is like never never forgives yeah let me ask you this because this is something i was thinking about also as well because this is a this is a highbrow film and there's always going to be other things that they're trying to to tell you there's other things that they want to put forward <laughs> j robert Oppenheimer is a very important person to christopher nolan if you've ever listened to him talk uh i mean he's read the book prometheus which is what this is this story is based on uh and he has said in uh, in interviews that he believes that J. Robert Oppenheimer is the most important person to ever live because of the creation of the atomic bomb. And they say that multiple times in this film. You right. are the most important oh, yeah. person. Uh, I feel like Christopher Nolan kind of sees a little bit of himself in Oppenheimer. Uh, and I, I can see. Yeah, I, I know where you're going. Go on. And I, see, I, I think he's kind of portraying this as I'm Oppenheimer in this and Louis Strauss is Zaslav in this. And yes. they, you know, I think he's they kind of cut take, off my creativity. They cut off my creativity. They didn't I didn't like what they did with my film Tenet. Uh, yeah. And I feel like he's taking it some was shots. All about that, politics. Uh huh. Yeah. I saw, yeah. I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I, I really kind of felt like that way when I was when I was watching this film. I like, I really felt like he was doing so some of that. I'm I'm gonna ask something else, and I probably shouldn't bring this up, but I don't care. Uh, he wrote this during COVID. Do you think? Watching people turn on Dr. Fauci had something to do with this. What do you I've mean, never heard anyone bring this up. What do you mean? Like, well, like, like where people respected him at first, and then all of a sudden he became a, a villain to so many. Uh, it's possible. I, it, it might. He wrote this during COVID. That's right, why yeah. I thought of that. It, it's possible. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I guess that's a, that's a possibility. Uh, but yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of a... There's probably so many things that were going through his mind. I think you're right, though, about the the cutting off his creativity. Yeah, because uh, but going back to the Fauci thing, because I could see that, because I'm sure he doesn't like the way that people respond to Fauci after, during COVID, uh, and the way that he gets blamed yeah. for so much. Uh, right. That he did or didn't some of it he did have to do with some of it he didn't have to do with and he just kind of became he became the target and that's kind of what ended right. up happening to Oppenheimer in this uh, so you may be onto something uh, the black and white and the color part of this did you understand it and did what you think about it uh, I, I'm assuming the black and white was used to just about like RDJ's the the villainy like showing yeah like, that's the black and white is when things were being told from the perspective of Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Louis Strauss, it was in black and white. And also he has said that this is the objective portion, like, cause basically what, according to Nolan, what he tried to do is anything that was in black and white, it was, this is more factual storytelling. It's more like this is, this right. event happened, ABC. This is what he was trying to do. Whereas the color part, was always from the Oppenheimer perspective, and it was more subjective, where he was putting more of his own spin on the story. At least that's my understanding. Of it. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I, I didn't. It didn't distract me. No, I didn't Surprise distract me. I, like, I thought. I thought. It, I thought it added a nice little touch to. It. I thought it was. I thought it was really yeah. good. Um, I like that part of it. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about just some of the story elements. Uh, you know, the beginning of this, he is wrestling with. He's. I say wrestling. I think he's probably tinkering with communism that's yeah i don't know that he was truly ever going to become a communist what were your thoughts on it 
Yeah, I thought the same thing. He felt bad for the Spanish people, right? The Spanish missionaries, and then there was another missionary group that was like you know involved that was involved with communist people as well. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was open to the ideas. I think he was very big on helping the poor. Right, I think so too. I think that was a big yeah. part of it. Uh, but it also introduces a lot of characters that we some we don't see as much later on. Obviously, we see Florence Pugh. Uh, I think she was where I think she was naked more on screen than she was. I know, man. This. I, that I was, was weird. It was weird. It was a little. It was. It was a little surprising. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, when they had the sex scene on it, like, okay, she's naked there. That makes sense. But when they come back to it later, and like, I know she, he's making her, re- she's making him read Sanskrit as they are in the act. I'm like, she stops mid act yeah. to go get a book to read Sanskrit. Like, yeah, is this Christopher Nolan's fantasies? I, I don't know. Who's doing this? I don't know. It was, it was that was odd. And that's look, that's a movie thing. I mean, nobody does that in real life. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I hope not. Oh yeah, I hope not too. So, uh, but. Like I said, that was probably one of the things that I'm not gonna say it didn't work, but just it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Weird, like, yeah, it, yeah. And then they bring it back when they're in the trial with Emily Blunt's character sitting there. You know, she's seeing that as he's describing some of the incidents. That that was really really weird. All of a sudden, yeah. there's two people having sex as they're having a, a court. Yeah, I know discussion. he was trying to make the point that Oppenheimer was a womanizer. Right. It was like. We really only saw him hooking up with like three people, and like the one person we didn't fully see, we just saw yeah. them flirting. I, I mean, it, it really didn't show he was that much of a womanizer. Yeah, and that's probably if you want to talk about things that could have been better about the film, this is that's probably one area that it could have been because yeah. you're right. We we never really saw we, when he was talking to the other lady. I can't remember her name. Um, Rachel, wasn't it? I think so. Uh, when he was talking to her. You know, I didn't really get the feeling that they were really that flirting alligator that much, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so, like I said, that part of it could have been done better. And Ruth. Ruth. I think it's Ruth. Yeah, it's Ruth. I'm, I just can't remember. I'm looking for the for the name, but it, you're right. It is Ruth. I just can't find Ruth her. Tolman. Ruth Tolman, played by Louise Lombard. Um, like I said, I didn't think they were even flirting, but so when they have that revelation yeah. at the end where uh, they actually did have an affair, and he says her husband never caught them, I was like, oh, okay, well, that seems kind of weird, but... Uh, but going back to the point, another point that you made about the women, and he has a hard time, that Christopher Nolan does seem to have a hard time writing women, is Emily Blunt's character, Kitty, a fantastic character, uh, you know, real life, and she is, she was a scientist in her own right, a brilliant scientist in her own right, in, in real life. Uh, if the a better version of her character would get her a, a Best Actress a nomination for yeah. Oscar, she's probably only get a, going to get a Best Supporting Actress, though. Right, I agree. I agree. Yeah, we didn't really get. You know, they mentioned she was a biologist. The very, but we very never briefly, really yeah. got to. See, yeah, but we never got to see her in action. Yeah, we we never see her in action because the only time she mentions it is when she first meets Oppenheimer there at the beginning, right. and she says, you know, uh, before in her first marriage, uh, she, she was a scientist, then she became a housewife, and that's about that's about all that we see of that. I just, like it just feels like she would have been involved somehow. Yeah, I feel like she would have been too. And that's why like I said that's if you, if you want to give a, a flaw to one of the flaws of the film, 
that is one that I want to give it is just like I said, her character should have been a larger right. part of this story because it was mm-hmm. they she had a large important part in the life of, of J. Robert Oppenheimer, so she should have had a, a bigger role and Yeah, her big thing was this drunk housewife. Yeah, I know. And she has a great scene there at the end when she's going yeah. head to head with Jason Clark's character. But Oh, he was great too. Yeah, he was he was really good. And he was really into his part. It was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. So uh but yeah, so that's like kind of the first the first hour. Uh and also in the first hour, I'm so you know this is the second time I've seen him this year, uh, but Josh Hartnett, uh, uh, I have not seen him up until since in probably yeah. ten years. I, mean, I know he's done a couple other things here and there. Yeah, he's been in some Guy Ritchie movies. What did, what else did you see him in? He's also in one of the episodes of Black Mirror. Uh, oh, okay, I heard that. Yeah, he's in the one that people really yeah, like. Yeah, it's a really really good episode. Yeah, yeah. But the revelation that this guy can act, I was like, I oh know. wow, because. He was terrible in all those films. Uh, Pearl Harbor, he is so bland and boring. Yeah, uh, yeah. He had that movie where he like, like gave up sex for Advent, or, or not Advent, for uh, yeah, Lent. Uh, yeah. And this, like I said, those are the first two movies I was like, I never want to see this this guy again. But he's he can really act, and he was really, he really was, good in this. He he was really good, you know. It may have taken him 20 years, but he's good. Yeah, he, he was. And like I said, I did not recognize him at first. I didn't recognize him when I saw him in uh, in Black Mirror either. It's like, I kept wondering, like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I know I've seen him before. And then when I looked up, I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot Josh Hartnett was in this. And you know, like I said, I was really impressed by him. Look, he's not going to win any awards just playing Ernest Lawrence. But nah. it was a really great way to give just kind of Oppenheimer somebody who respected Oppenheimer and for his contributions to science, but also was kind of rubbing up against him there at the beginning. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. He was a good fool also because he was like, dude, and he warned him. It's like your politics are going to get in the way. Yeah. And they certainly did say the least. All right. I want to take a real quick break and then I want to come back to my favorite character of this film. All right, so I said I want to talk about our favorite character. Who do you think my favorite character is? So it's between two people, Matt Damon and David Krumholtz as Isidore Rabbi. It's Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Damon was fantastic. It's Matt Damon. He, he was fantastic. Look, there's precedent for for Best Supporting Actors and Actresses getting two nominations from the same movie. We had it this past year with Everything Everywhere All at Once. There were two actresses nominated for Best Supporting Actress in that film, and Jamie Lee Curtis ended up winning it. Right. Robert Downey Jr. is getting an Oscar nomination. I, I, yeah. I feel yeah. that is coming. I hope Matt Damon gets one as well. <laughs> I do, too. He was he was incredible. I love he how was. he was almost in another movie because he was in this great, like, World War II movie where they're getting the team together. That's right, yes. <laughs> you know, and, like, he's fired up the troops. He's, like, you know... And a couple of his scenes are in the trailer, but they're still fantastic, where he's screaming at Opera Hopper about, like, I need zero! That's right. <laughs> zero would be nice. So that's, yeah. what, you know, that's what I'm up for. But the yeah. scene where he's like, Pash? You talk to Pash? You're not supposed yeah, to talk yeah. to Pash? Uh, that was oh, just absolutely yeah, fantastic. Great. And, you know, the, we get Casey Affleck there for, for a, yeah. a brief little scene as well. But, but yes, the Matt Damon character is just... It's probably like the most important part of this film, just because it is it is the it is the part of the film where we are 
He's the guy who is giving us the stakes, and he is the guy who's reminding us just how much is riding on this entire yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, right. And he's also the humor of this film. I mean, he's running away with one award. <laughs> yeah, he really is. I mean, uh, like I don't know what your theater is like, but I will. I will never forget. This is. Alex, I'll never forget this moment. So when they're at, when they're doing something in with the bomb, and he's talking to, and Oppenheimer's talking to one of these scientists, and and Matt Damon's character is there. Um, what was his character's name? I always forget. Uh, General Rose. General Rose. Rose. Uh, when he is talking to him, uh, there there's some disagreement between the scientist and Oppenheimer, and the guy quits, and he walks out the door, and Oppenheimer says, "You know, I'm a little more concerned about you that this guy who has all this knowledge walking out." And Matt Damon says, "Well, we'll kill him." And like, what was the, uh, what, what was the reaction in your theater? Oh, everyone's laughing. Everyone had, was laughing. We had people. La- I had some people laughing. Like it was more like nervous laughter. I had some people like gasp because like they could have envisioned this actually could have been killed. Yeah, this yeah, guy yeah. could have been killed. Oh, yeah. So, uh, like I said, that was just fantastic. I was like, I was like, wow, because <laughs> everybody in my theater was like. <gasps> And there, there were, there were yeah. some people like me who were kind of chuckling about it, but like when I was chuckling, I was like, well, they might actually kill that guy. <laughs> because, uh, I'm not real sure yeah. about that. But uh, like I said, his, just his character was just so fantastic. And this is what I hope Matt Day wants to do with the rest of his career. If he wants to come in and like, because this is a similar role that he has in Air, uh, where he plays yeah. these, these older guys who are just, you know, you know, when you think of guys in their like 50s and 60s and they're just kind of like a little bit grumpy yeah, man. and just kind of dudes, dudes, I'm right. not there, there for Matt Damon doing this. Yeah, I mean, Paul Newman played this part in Fat Man and a Little Boy, yeah, the did. movie they did in, in, the, uh, in the 80s. And Paul Newman, when he got in his 50s, played those type characters. Do it. Copy, yeah. copy Newman. Yeah, I, go ahead and copy Newman on that. Like I said, I love the fact that Damon is is comfortable with doing this because I mean, look, I let's, say, let's yeah. be honest, he was a heartthrob when he was younger. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's what he was, and for him to kind of embrace this part of that, is he saying, you know what, I can Character do these types. Yeah, go for it, Matt. We would love to see you do this. Like I said, and it's, I'm great that he's willing to kind of swallow that pride. He's no, he's no longer right. Jason. He's no longer Jason Bourne. Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, just go play these. I hope know. not. He, he doesn't need to play. No, that he does not need to play the part anymore. Uh, but it's just absolutely fantastic. Like I said, I loved his character. Who was the other one you said you thought it might be? Uh, David Crumholtz was really good. He was his friend. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I kept thinking he was somebody else when I was watching this, but uh, you're right. He was really good too because he was really good. He was. He kind of helped remind Oppenheimer of his like Jewish roots. They were talking about the, yeah, and that's kind of something that was. Well, Oppenheimer really listened to him too. Yeah, he did. Like you know, people he would people would give Oppenheimer orders about eating and stuff like that, and he wouldn't listen. And then there were multiple scenes where he fed Oppenheimer yes. to make sure he ate some <laughs> because he because he needed to be he needed to be thinking about it because yeah. somebody needed to be thinking about him. I thought uh, right. his part was just absolutely fantastic. I loved watching him. Um, but we talked about you talked we talked a little bit about Jason Clark. Uh, he plays Roger Robb. He's the the I hate to call it prosecutor because as they say multiple times it was not a it was not a conviction they were just denying. Right. Uh, but man, he got into that role. Like I said, he's probably he he's probably overacting just a little bit, but I thought it worked really well. I thought it worked really well too. Uh, he needed to overact. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I thought he needed to overact as well. Um, 
but he was selling he was selling those parts he was selling that urgency to just you know i'm going to go after this guy with everything that i have uh we've got this mm-hmm. kangaroo court and we're just going to lay into him uh it's just it was really really good uh like i said that whole that the entire courtroom aspect of that even though they were in this kind of right. this tiny little room it was it was just compelling and the way that they cut it and the way that they that they edited together because you uh, did they open with him in that room? Did I remember, am I remembering that correctly? I think you're right on that because like and that's what I thought that was the case because I think you're right. I think you're right because if you're not just real familiar with the history, you're probably you know going into this what this is about. It's about the creation of the atomic bomb. You think this guy would be celebrated because he ended the war early and all this type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but to open with that, you know that something has happened in his life that has brought him under scrutiny. And yeah, I had no, I, I had no idea. I didn't know where that was going. Yeah, like I said, so I thought that was a really good way to open that, and that it it creates mystery for a lot of people who aren't right. familiar with that part of the story and it like I said that's just a it's just a great dramatic story element from from right. Christopher Nolan it was And I was going to mention one more performance. I thought Benny Safdie as Edward yes. Teller was was really good. Yeah, he was fantastic. I I haven't seen Safdie in a while. What else has he been in? Uh Well, he's he's a member of the uh their brothers that direct. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this after they did like uncommon gems with yeah. uh with uh adam sandler but he's been acting more he was in some i think he was in something else we watched he may be uh but yeah he's really good in this as teller because teller ends up in creating the oh high- he was in obi-wan kenobi was he really i don't remember what was he he, he was the jedi at the beginning that gets killed oh okay okay i remember he, that now. he's like the, he's like a main part like they were looking for jedis yeah and they kill him the ones that okay I yeah, yeah. Now. uh but teller ends up creating the hydrogen bomb uh that is his uh legacy that is his claim to fame is he is the creator of the hydrogen bomb the hydrogen bomb is more deadly it is more potent than the atomic bomb um we're going to talk about all the different types of bombs out there here in a little bit but uh uh but this is like i said this is and this is what he's working on this is kind of like the thing that he's trying to push oppenheimer towards like let's just let's do the hydrogen bomb and oppenheimer is like okay you could go work on the hydrogen bomb you can get us working towards that but we've got to get this atomic bomb down first and just like i said he's a little bit of a he's a little bit of a foil for for oppenheimer in this Mm -hmm. uh and he ends up kind of betraying him when they ends up going to 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 uh, the hearing, and it's interesting when they start bringing in all of the people who are working with him at Los Alamos and their testimony, uh, because when Matt Damon's character ends up testi- testifying, you hear you hear them ask that question earlier in the film, like, "Would you clear Oppenheimer, knowing what you know today?" And they cut it off there, and they don't revisit till much later on in the film. And he says, "No, yeah. I wouldn't clear him," but then he says. But I wouldn't clear any of these guys knowing what I know today. I mean, right, right. Like I said, it was great the way they show that these two, these two bonded together, and these two uh, had a genuine friendship and a genuine respect for each other. And I thought that was really good at there at the end of that. Uh, other, another portion of this that I thought was really interesting was the the build up to the Trinity test. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, yeah. It's what you come to this film for. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it's you know that they're they're going to do yeah. this. Were you, before we get to that, were you surprised we didn't get the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings? 
Yeah, a little bit. I was a little bit surprised. I, 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 I don't. I, I'm glad we didn't. Though. Yeah, that was going to be my next thing. I'm. I was a little surprised we didn't, but I. I think it was the right choice not to one because that's yeah. you got to start showing some a lot of death and you got to show right. it, that's you know that's a very this is real stuff that really happened. That's a sensitive topic to say the least. But the once they create it, once they do the test. That's no longer part of Oppenheimer's story, really. I mean, he right, right. So I thought it was a, I thought it was the right decision to not put Hiroshima and Nagasaki in it. I thought that was the right call. So the important part of this is the build up to the Trinity test, which is the, which is the atomic uh, bomb testing that they do that they shows they can actually do it. Uh, the interesting part about the that part portion of it. That was the bomb. The, the explosion you saw was not CGI. Christopher Nolan doesn't do CG. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, did you read anything to how they created that? I, I, I didn't. I know he didn't do CG, and I know that like he built a, like a like an explosion. Yes, and he uses basically. I mean, it's a big explosion. Don't get me wrong. It's a big explosion that he uses, but it's it's a miniature is what it is. I mean, what they do is like they do with miniature towns and stuff like this in, in Hollywood. They just get really, really close on it. So this this explosion that they created, he brings the f- camera in really, really close to it to make it look a lot bigger than it actually is. Uh, and this is how he creates it. And like I said, this is Christopher Nolan who does not like to use CG. He has to use right. it occasionally in some of his other films, but he didn't want to use it here. And like I said, it, it looked like a real atomic it explosion. Looked, it looked really good. I love how they took the sound out. Oh, yeah. Just the explosion, and then you see in all the colors. What blew my mind, and what I was talking about with the people I went with earlier, I just love how they're just sitting out watching it and just got that little pane of glass yeah. <laughs> to protect, <laughs> to protect them. them. That's yeah. all. Like, like what? Yeah. Like, I would be getting miles away. Well, they were. I mean, did you remember how far yeah. they said they were? They were. No, I don't remember. They that. said ten thousand yards. So that's thirty thousand feet away. Is what is what they were. So thirty thousand. Not close enough. <laughs> it's like that's too close. Yeah, it's like four and a half miles away. So the explosions to give you an idea of what explosions, nuclear bombs, and all this type of stuff. The atomic bomb, basically, that they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the same one that they test at the Trinity test. It has about a one mile radius for uh that people would be affected if you were in a one mile radius you would you would probably end up dying if you were at least within a mile of it um and you still hear the and like i said they're about four and a half miles away uh you still end up hearing the boom and all this type of stuff that's one of the great things that they do when they cut that sound out when they explode when they may actually detonate the bomb like they show the beauty of the explosion and just the, all, all the right. colors and stuff but like when the sound hits them like you're that reminded this thing is this thing is a monster yes it's beautiful but yeah. it's still a monster and it's going to kill yeah. a lot of people that that was that was mind-blowing just watching that yeah they, that was like you said that's what you wanted to see and he he pulled it off yeah he absolutely did so like i said the atomic bomb kills people within a mile the hydrogen bomb i think is about a three mile radius uh, that kills people and what i understand i think today's nuclear bombs they my understanding like if you're like within three miles like if you're like within a mile you're vaporated i mean you're uh and you're you're gone i mean there's no trace of your existence you got like if you're within like two miles you get third degree burns and you you're pretty much dead uh four miles away you get second degrees like five miles away you're getting third degree burns and 
if you're like within 50 miles, you're temporarily blinded of today's nuclear weapons. Uh, like Jeez. that's how that's how just incredibly. Ex- as Chris Nolan was telling us, that bad nuclear <laughs> weapons, bad well, nuclear that's war, bad. That's what's so interesting about this because we don't think about nuclear holocaust anymore. I mean, right, right. And Russia and the United States both have thousands of nuclear weapons that that they could launch at any well, time. I will say, with this Russia-Ukraine stuff, well, that has been more of a concern. Yeah, it has, been. especially with Putin and. Uh, and, and power, so you're a little bit more worried about yeah. it than, than we have been. But I remember, man, I was, you know, uh, in elementary school in the 80s, I, I swear we had, like, because, like, in the middle, you know, the middle of the Cold War, in the right. mid-80s, like, we were worried about it. Thank God Rocky ended it. You That's know? right. Rocky Four is the reason why I don't have it, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> but, yeah, like I said, it's it's just, we don't think about it nearly as much, like, but you're right, now with the stuff going on in Ukraine. We, I think we did testing. I think, or, like, we did drills. Drills, I yeah. I swear I remember this. I don't remember if we did. I mean, because... The Cold War ends like in '89, I think, and I was like in third grade or fourth grade. I, like we that. were more concerned like in the mid '80s. Oh yeah, I think you know. Yeah, I remember people talking about it when I was a little kid, but it, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't think right. or, or anything about it to, to, to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, like and just let's talk about some of the people that we haven't even discussed. I don't want to spend a lot of time on them. Uh, we talked about Rami Malek. I mean, he shows up there at the very end yeah. to kind of like drop this bomb on. I didn't mean to do that, <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> To drop a bomb in this Senate hearing on Lewis Strauss, uh, Alden Eric, I can't ever pronounce the guy's name. Uh, yeah, what's he was his, good, and his character was interesting because basically he is the audience POV for this. Uh, right, he, right. He has no name. He's just listed as senator aide or aide senator aide or something oh, like that. That's right. Yeah, because they never say his name, but he's basically just a guy kind of like asking questions to to lewis strauss to to find out you know what happened here how did this play out you know uh, he yeah. did the right thing so uh good for him because he's good in the role yeah yeah and i mean after solo like tanked his career for a little bit i'm yeah. glad to see him getting back because I, I don't know i've seen him in anything else but until we until he showed up here to be perfectly honest with you so oh, he was he he was the star of Solo. I know, since then, that's what I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Since then, I can't remember what he's been in. Yeah. I'm sure he's probably done some other stuff, but I, I yeah, don't remember yeah. anything. Uh, but yeah, he he was in it. Uh, Quaid, what's his first name? Jack Quaid. Uh, Jack Quaid shows up in this. If you're not here, we're sure who we're talking about. He's the guy from the Boys. If you've seen the Boys, he's uh, in the background a lot. He doesn't say a lot. No, movie. he doesn't. He plays the bongo drums. He plays the bongo it, drums. But, but I'm always happy when I see Jack Quaid. Oh yeah, he, he's great in this. And I, I like I said that bought the bongos things was just fantastic I, I loved it i'm trying to think of, i'm going through my list here of all these people and i can't find some of the people i was wanting to pull out gary oldman as uh, gary truman. oldman yes thank you i'm glad you brought him up what would you think of gary oldman's little cameo here as as harry uh, truman i'm always happy to see uh to see gary oldman i'm not as i don't remember what truman really sounded like you know like like i don't hear him right as, as often as so, I thought his performance was fine. It's always good to see Gary Oldman. Yeah, like I said, that is, a, but apparently that is a very almost word for word portrayal of what the meeting between Oppenheimer yeah. and Harry Truman were. Harry Truman had no qualms about dropping these bombs on Japan. He had like he was pr- completely proud of it. And Oppenheimer, like I said, this is one of the great things that Kelly Murphy does. He shows that he was very conflicted about this. And yes, this was. A science like, and this is kind of the thing with with scientists and doing this type of stuff is, you know, the science part of this just fascinates them and intrigues them. It pushes them to right. do this type of stuff. 
but they also what we kind of once it gets out there you know killing murphy's uh j robert oppenheimer he has to deal with you know the the gravity of this and you know he tells harry truman you know i, I feel like i've got blood on my hands uh, you know the, and right. the way they are doing they kind of bring that in like when he's talking to the people at los alamos and they're kind of having that like pep rally thing after the bomb was dropped yeah, uh, yeah that was something yeah well, and it looks like they you know he's seeing these people be vaporized by the bomb like i said yeah really interesting way to do that uh and I thought it thought it, I thought it worked well, but uh, yeah, yeah, I did too. Uh, we also had we talked a little bit about uh, Niels Bohr, who's played by Kenneth Branagh. Branagh does really well when he's in Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, thought he, he does. I thought he was really good. He's not in there very much, but I thought he was really good. Yeah, I thought he was too. And sometimes he can be a little bit much. But yes, he was he not in this movie. And like I said, he just seems to be brought in really well by by, by Christopher Nolan. Uh, David Desmalchian, uh, we see him again. Uh, he plays yeah. William Borden, who's the FBI guy who's kind of looking into who's looking into Oppenheimer, and he just kind of plays a slimy little weasel character, and he does yeah. it really well. He does. Yeah, like I said, just like really good stuff from this entire cast. Uh, all right, let's talk about Oscar nominations before we finish uh, our discussion of this. All right. Best picture, obvious, right? Absolutely. Uh, best director? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah best director. Uh, best we talk, we're talking about nominations. Nominations, yeah, nominations. We'll, okay, t- yeah, we'll discuss yeah. like if they we think they can win here in a second. I just want to get through the nominations. So, uh, best actor for Killian Murphy. That's full pretty up. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Emily Blunt? I think a good chance. Uh, are we given... Do you think both Damon and RDJ will get one? I think RDJ is 100%. I think Damon is 75 to... 50 to 75. You know, I, I feel pretty certain he will. Yeah, I, I Because they like to give it to big names, too. They do. They like to give it to big names. Especially in that category. Mm-hmm. You're correct about that. People who, people who haven't gotten Oscars previously that they want to give an Oscar to, they do. Oh, yeah. And I bet Damon probably, he is an Oscar for writing Goodwill Hunting, but yeah. he probably doesn't have one for acting. He doesn't yeah. have an acting one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's getting nominated. Like I said, I, I feel like he might get nominated. Uh uh, screenplay. You think this gets nominated for screenplay? Oh yeah, yeah. I think all the and all the sound. The sound editing, editing is a that. definite. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I've meant to bring up a second. I'm glad you brought it up now because the sound editing is just phenomenal. But also one of the things uh, that is that helps kind of propel this film is there's only probably like the only time where I don't think there's any music playing in the background is where they cut out all the sound. But like there's always yeah, yeah. music playing just to, try to mm-hmm. set the mood and to try to kind of propel right. everything going forward. Uh, yeah, I don't know that we're going to get, there's going to be anything else. Uh, all right. Is it, where's it? Who's the front runner? Is it as of right now, this is the front runner for all those that we talked about. Best pictures as of yeah, right now, kill, it's the front runner. I would say best picture Killian, and RDJ, yeah, front runner. I think they're the front runners as of right now. Now we still got, like we said, flowers of the uh, killers of the flower, killers moon. of the flower moon. Uh, that's still coming down the line. But there's actually, also that movie Past Lives. Past Lives, is, yeah. Now that gets a lot of buzz as well. And I have not seen it. Have you seen it? 
I hadn't seen it. Not I haven't seen it. Either. It came to the theater shortly, right? For a short amount, and I missed it. I, I, I definitely want to watch it. Yeah, I do too. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, that's probably the only other film that's I can really think of off the top of my head that would really be challenging. Like I said, there's more, but we haven't hit award season yet either. Right, award season right. movies, those will come down the line. But you're going to hear a lot about this one. Uh, to me, this is Nolan's best chance. He's had Inception get nominated mm-hmm. for best uh, picture and best director. He had Dunkirk. Dark Knight. They never got. They did get nominated for best picture. I don't think. Oh, it I don't think it did. I could, maybe I'm okay. wrong about that. I have to go back and look. But I don't think it did. I, no, Dark Knight. Yeah, I remember. Dark Knight was the reason they expanded the field. That's right. That's yeah, right. because a lot of people said that should have been nominated and it didn't right. get nominated. Yeah, I, I bet Dunkirk did. Dunkirk got nominated, uh, and he like I think that's the closest he's ever gotten to winning it. Yeah, uh, because a lot of people, I like that movie a lot, but it's I don't think Me it's too. his best. Uh, yeah. But I think this is. I think if he doesn't win it with this, he may never win it because. Yeah, you're it, right. And he's yeah. got he's got a tough one coming up. Like I said, obviously, Killers of the Flower Moon. We haven't yeah. seen it, but it's it's going to put up a fight. But we're going to talk more about if we're going to actually see that film a little bit later on here. So. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with this film before we get to our awards? Uh, I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're good too. So let's go ahead and get to some awards. All right, here on the Main Attraction Podcast, whenever we are covering a film or a season of a television show, we give out six char- six awards, uh, all based on the six characters from Friends. Up first is the Rachel, the star of the show, the person who sh- uh, shined the brightest. I think we know where this is going, but go ahead and give me your yeah, Rachel. Killian Murphy. Yeah, it's Killian Murphy. Uh, he was he was phenomenal. Like I said, he was absolutely phenomenal. He was. He it's, really was. It it was a it was a career making performance for him to the least. Yeah. So. Uh, the Joey, a character you just liked, uh, who you enjoyed watching. Who's your Joey? I went with Emily Blunt here. Yeah, I did too. That's where I went as well. Her character was, like I said, and I'm better. And if you want to give it a flaw, like I've said previously, right. she should get a Best Actress nomination. I think she'll still get nominated, but it'll be for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, so. yeah I think you're right. Uh, we've kind of already hinted at this. The Chandler, the person who made you <laughs> laugh the most, who are you giving this Matt to? Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. uh, Matt Damon, he gives, us our funny, he gives us our funny lines. I don't remember a whole lot of laughs coming from anybody else except from, from his character. So, uh, The Phoebe, who are you going with Phoebe, which is the oddball of the bunch? I'm going with Florence, Florence too. I'm still not... <laughs> Still not sure about her part. Yeah, like I said, she obviously had a very important role in Oppenheimer's life. And if you go back and look at some of the, if you read some of the history about her, yeah. her character in, in Oppenheimer, obviously a very important person to him and uh, had a large impact on him. But that was a weird portrayal, to say the least. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I don't think she did a bad job. I just, it no, was no, just, it wasn't her. It was written weird. Uh, the Monica, just another important character in terms of the plot of the movie. Who'd you go with your Monica? So I went with three people here because I thought they really were like the they, they brought so much about uh, the the heart and soul of the movie. And I went with David Crumholtz, who we've talked about, right. Josh Hartnett, and Benny Safdie. Yeah, I went with Josh Hartnett, so I, I, I stayed with you on that as well. But uh, but yeah, good point on the other two as well. I didn't even think about them. Uh, the Ross, your least favorite character. Who's your Ross? I went with Jason Clark and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I mean, look, they're great at what they're doing, but they're yeah. they're not supposed to be liked in this film. So uh, that's exactly what they're supposed to do. They, so. they pull it off well. They do. They pull it off very, very well. All right, rating time. Here on the Main Attraction Podcast, we have a five-tier rating system. 
At the top of our list is a succession. Beneath the succession is a lost. Middle of the road forest is friends. Beneath the friends is a full, full house. And bottom of the barrel forest is a Baywatch. What are you rating Oppenheimer? I mean, this is this is succession. This this is right there at the top movie of the year for me. So I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's the same for me. It, you know, it's it's right there at the top of my list for best movies of 2023. Like I said, it's yeah. it may be one of the best movies. I've ever seen. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. when we get to 2025 and they start doing the 25 best movies of 2025, this movie is going to be in contention for the very top spot. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, like I said, it's going to be up there and, you know, it'll be that way for the rest of this century as well. So, uh, definitely a succession for me as well. Just a fantastic film. Uh, as a guy who's expecting a lot and to come out to have my expectations exceeded, it's, really really impressive so yeah i'm, I'm with you it's surprisingly it lived up to all hype all right uh so that wraps up our discussion of oppenheimer before we go though we would like to discuss some things that we are looking forward to so what are some things that you're looking forward to for our listeners so i'm uh i really don't have very many uh winning time the uh, hbo about the lakers yeah it starts this weekend uh it comes out this week it starts this week right uh with uh, John C. Riley as the owner of the Lakers, it's it was season one was a lot of fun. I don't know. Did you ever watch? I never got around to it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Season two, uh, we'll be back, and then also Loki, season October two. the sixth. Season two, October the sixth. And the trailer, if the news trailer for it is out, so if you're interested in watching it, uh, yeah. Kihi Kwan is uh, <laughs> plays prominently yeah. in it. Uh, it. That looks great. Look, I know a lot of people are really down on in MCU, especially after what happened with Secret Invasion, which we will talk about next week. So if you haven't seen it and you want to hear us talk about it, uh, then go uh, check it out. But uh, or if you just want to hear us talk about it because you don't want to watch it because you've heard so many bad things, then come listen to us just talk about it. But uh, Loki was really it's to me it was the best of all the MCU series. And, you know, I just can't, I I don't know if this one's going to be good or not. I feel like it is. Uh, Give me Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston just playing off of each other again for, for six episodes. I'm good. (laughs) And Jonathan Majors is all over this trailer. That's right. He's all over it. So uh, I don't know if he's going to be all over any more MCU stuff after this, but that that remains to be seen. But uh, that'll be that'll be fun to look uh, look forward to. Uh, A few things that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I've said this a couple times, but especially after seeing the reviews for it, I really am looking forward to it. That's the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. It has gotten rave yeah. reviews. I don't oh, know. good. good, good, good. Like, it's in like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes right wow. now. Uh, like I said, I was not expecting that. So, uh, I'm, like I said, I've been looking forward to it. I, I would love to get to a theater and watch it, but I've got so much other stuff going on right now. I just cannot imagine that that's going to happen. Uh, so, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't watched it yet. It's on Amazon. Uh, if you've watched a couple of years ago, maybe like three years ago, uh, the Invincible uh, series on Amazon. Uh, it's a comic book show with. It's an anime comic book show. Very violent. Very adult oriented. Uh, they at San Diego Comic Con. There was not a whole lot of big stuff at San Diego Comic Con this this year, but Amazon. Uh, they have said that. Definitely the second season of Invincible is coming out. And they currently have a like a special for one of the characters called Adam Eve. Uh, it's on uh, Amazon, so I'm looking forward to that. So if you, if you like the show Invincible, go check out that. Because I wanted to check that out as well. Uh, I, I had not even heard of this film until I saw the trailer for it at Oppenheimer, uh, the creator. Have you heard of this? 
Oh yeah, the one Gareth Edwards with yeah. uh, mm-hmm. John David Washington. Yeah, I saw the trailer a couple months ago. Yeah, I, this was the first time I'd seen or heard of it. It's coming yeah. out, I think, in September, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it does look good. It does look good. So when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, I, I definitely want to check this out. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen that trailer, that's like I said, I was my interest was peaked to say the least when I saw that yeah. trailer during Oppenheimer. Uh, it looks absolutely fantastic. It look it's about AI. Uh, your your favorite. Your yeah, favorite it is. <laughs> so, yes. And yes. that looks like yes. really gets me because like my my critique on. Uh, Mission Impossible is like they send a human, an AI sent a human. AI is sending machines after people. So, like I said, I'm right. I'm, I'm good with that. So, uh, but it looks really good. Now, the other thing I'm looking forward to is what is going to happen with all these films, all these television shows. Uh-huh. Now that the stars are on strike, because if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have. If you're listening to this podcast, SAG AFTRA has joined the writers. They have gone on strike as well. And I've we talked about the writers' strike before. And, you know, I, I told you, I, said, I don't think it's going to affect too much until we get to the end of the year, because if it's already been written, it's they've already done it, they can go ahead and put it out there. The problem right. we have with the SAG stuff is how much do these studios want to rely on stars to promote their stuff? Because if that's one of the things that they are relying on, then they're not going to get it because the stars can't even promote their stuff. So, right. <sighs> I'm really interested. Like, there's a, a tennis movie that like like a three- challengers with uh, with Zendaya, Zendaya. already been moved. Yeah, yeah, it's already been moved. Uh, you know, we when we were talking about like Oscar possibilities for Oppenheimer, we we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon quite a bit. Does that get moved uh, out of this year? Because you need Leonardo, know, you need Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio going out and promoting that film, and if they don't have this thing wrapped up in October. I don't Apple know. may move it. I, I really think they yeah. might end up moving that thing. Uh, yeah. Well, I saw where Ghostbusters was supposed to come out and it's at been Christmas, moved. and they've been moved. Yeah. They've already moved it. Uh, Aquaman may get moved again. Aquaman may get moved again. Uh, you My know, God, we're never going to see Blade, are we? <laughs> I don't know. It's not looking good. Uh, that's another one. Will the Marvels get go ahead and get put out there because yeah. I mean I'm sure they want Brie Larson out there promoting it and if they, they need it and if they don't have her able to do so in November do they move it uh you know I'm assuming that we're we're really close to Ahsoka which is something I am looking forward to yeah uh, yeah, yeah but you know they're going to do the premiere for that because I think it starts August 20th I think is when it uh, premieres you know, when they do the premiere event for it, there's not going to be the stars there. It's not going to be a big. It's not going to be a big deal yeah. unless they're they're picketing. That may be the only reason they're they're there. Yeah. But you know, how does this affect everything else that we've got coming down the line? Because I don't like to, I, I don't know how much we're going to actually see going forward from from some of these movies, some of these television shows, because they right. they need people out there saying, hey, go watch our stuff, because, you know, they want to see it on Instagram, they want to see it on Facebook, on yeah. Twitter, or X, and now, let me rephrase that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Same thing, I'm very concerned, and the theaters need this. We yeah. see with how well they've been doing. I would hate for them to lose all the Christmas and Thanksgiving movies, because that's usually a good time to go to the movies. Yeah, it is. So I, I'm, I'm very concerned about that, yeah. I, I would hate for us to lose Killer of the Flower Moon. I'm really looking forward to that. So it's, it's definitely concerning. I think TV is... I think there's a lot of stuff they've gotten ready, but I will tell you, it, the... The spring TV is going to be bare. 
Yeah, it, it, it will be. Well, well, spring may be okay if they haven't worked out because they may have to push everything to spring. Well, so. they've, well they've stopped working. They've stopped well, doing true, stuff yeah. since like June, like Solo was yeah. in the middle of season two. Yeah, you're right. And they were like in the middle of Deadpool, uh, the next Deadpool movie. It was yeah. it was getting filmed and they've, they've had to stop production on it. So like, it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out and what yeah. we're going to be getting into. What, what it means for us, look, we'll, if they stop putting shows and movies out, we'll do rewatches or something like that. I mean, yeah, so, we'll have to, yeah. So we'll, we'll figure something out. So, uh, all right. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this week. Anything else you want to add? Uh, oh, yeah. I was going to mention there was a viral tweet that someone asked, is there an after credit scene in Oppenheimer? <laughs> and the person responded, you're living it, baby. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. I like that. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, appreciate everyone joining us, and we will talk to you next time. I would echo those same sentiments. And as always, until next time, may all of your entertainment dreams come true.